Nice. <laughs> um, today's study is titled, Who Do You Think You Are? And at our church, we've been going through the book of Acts, and lately following along with the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey, and he's ultimately headed to Jerusalem, bearing this monetary gift that he's going to give to the church there in Jerusalem in Acts 21. And he's going towards what he knows is going to be a great trial and persecution as he gets there into Jerusalem. And so today we're going to pick up with Paul and his group of men in Caesarea in Acts chapter 21, verse 15. And it says, And after those days we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Nason of Cyrus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And so Paul and his group are in Caesarea. They're traveling towards Jerusalem, and they meet this man, and they end up staying at his house. And they came down into the church in Jerusalem and are welcomed there. And it says in verse 18, On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And so Paul goes into James, who was the leader of the early church. Many people think it was Peter mistakenly, but it was actually James, the brother of Jesus, who was the, the, the kind of head of the church there in Jerusalem. And so he's giving them this detailed report of everything that had gone since he had been in Jerusalem before, which was years. And so, I mean, this must have been a very long day of detailing all the things that God had been doing. Because if you've read through the book of Acts, you know that God is busy at work in the book of Acts. He's doing a lot of stuff there. And so as Paul's sharing this, these guys are probably being greatly encouraged, and it's taking a, a while for him to get through all of this. And we see in verse 20, it says, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And so they're praising God for what's going on. But then, almost in the same breath, they say this, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. So they say, that's, man, that's awesome that God's been working in your ministry, that he's been reaching the Gentiles. And you see here in Jerusalem what's going on and how many thousands of Jews have believed. And then they add this little tagline, and they're all zealous for the law. This is a bit of a tell right here. There was something not quite right in the church in Jerusalem. They believed in Jesus. Yes, the, Jesus was their Lord and their Savior, but they were zealous or passionate or excited about the law. That was their focus. They were, they were finding their identity in the law and in the, the rules and the regulations and the customs of their Jewish tradition rather than in who Jesus Christ was. Now this is a key sign that there's something off with any person or group of Christians or whatever they may be, is what is their passion? What are they passionate about? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Are they passionate about the rules? Are they passionate about one certain doctrine? Or is their passion about the person of Jesus Christ? See, these Jewish Christians were passionate about keeping the law. Now, is there anything wrong with keeping the law? No, absolutely not. But they were finding their identity in their Jewishness and in their following the rules and regulations that had been laid out in the Old Testament. And not even just the Old Testament, but the traditions of men that had been delivered to them by the rabbis that they were following under in their teaching. And so they were finding their identity in that. Now the funny thing about this is as believers in Jesus, these Jewish Christians were no longer under the law, but under grace, which is a separate study. But they were finding their identity in something that they no longer belonged to. Why would you want to do that? 
Now, there was a farmer who had a field, and, and he went out one day and found an eagle that had hurt its wing and couldn't fly. It was flapping on the ground, trying to get off the ground to fly. And so the farmer comes and takes the, the eagle and takes it back to his house and starts to care for it and feed it and nurse it back to health. And as the eagle, you know, he'd take it outside and the eagle would try to flap its wings and fly and it would ultimately flap a couple feet off the ground and hurt itself and fall back to the ground again. And so he said, I need to do something to keep this eagle safe. It's going to hurt itself. And so he put a pole in the ground in the middle of his field. And he put a chain on the pole and chained it to the foot of the eagle. So that if the eagle tried to flap its wings and fly away, it would not be able to get more than a few feet. And so the eagle sat there, chained to this pole, and started to walk circles around the pole. And it just kind of walked and walked and walked. Because, you know, he wanted to let it have some time outside, and he didn't want it to be all cooped up in a cage inside of his house. And so the eagle walked, and eventually it wore a rut into the ground. There was just dirt and kind of a rut there where the eagle had been walking. And it kept walking and kept walking. And over time, the eagle healed, and its wing was healed. And, you know, he's like, ah, I've grown so attached to this eagle, I don't really want to let it go. And so he left it there, chained to that pole. And the eagle just kept walking in circles around the pole. Eventually, one day, guilt overcame the farmer. And so he said, I'm going to set the eagle free. Um, I, I just can't do it anymore. It shouldn't be chained to a pole in my yard. It needs to be free flying the skies. And so he went out there, and he unhooked the eagle's chain, took it off the pole, and he said, go, be free. But the eagle, instead of flapping its wings and flying off, just stayed there and kept walking in circles around the pole, the same path that it had been traveling forever. It didn't realize that it had been set free. It didn't realize that it could flap its wings and fly and soar above the clouds. And so what it did is it kept doing what it always did. It walked circles around the pole, and it wore that rut down. And see, this is what these Jews here were doing. They were going back to this bondage that they had been in before Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, they were bound up under the law. There's something that they couldn't even fulfill. And see, after Christ, they were set free, but they just kept walking in those circles around the pole. Paul dealt with this in the Galatian churches when some of these Judaizers from this Jerusalem church came and tried to tell the, the men of the church in Galatia that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Now, I imagine if you were a Galatian man, you probably were not too excited about that rule. And so they came and said this, and so Paul dealt with this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, and he says this, But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. Essentially what Paul is saying is that how, how is it that after knowing God, or rather being known by God, are you trying to turn back to, to justifying yourself? Before you were saved, you couldn't justify yourself. Why are you trying to do it afterwards? Why do you think that suddenly, after you've been given that gift of salvation, now, now you can just do it yourself and you don't need God's help anymore? And so he's reminding them of this. And why, after you've been able to fly, to soar above the clouds, would you go back to walking circles on the ground. And so the question for us today is, are we in some area of our life walking in those circles on the ground rather than flying where God would have us, rather than soaring above the clouds and the, the ability that he's given us by his Holy Spirit? And so for you today, have you chained yourself to an identity other than Jesus Christ? Are you trying to make yourself right with God by your good deeds, or do you feel like you're not good enough for God because of the things that you've done in your past or 
Are you defining yourself by anything other than Jesus? And so the question ultimately is, who do you think you are? Who do you think that you are? What defines you? It could be good or bad things. Maybe you're defined by your ambitions and your goals, or maybe you're defined by your, your drive or your struggles or your sins or depression or loneliness. Maybe you're defined by your accomplishments, the things that you've built up in your life. You've built up this life that you're proud of everywhere you look. You've had success in business. You've had a success in, in relationships, and you're finding your identity in that. Or you find your identity in your job and your goals and ambitions. You know, Paul the Apostle did that before he was a believer. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, he says this, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the, the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And see, Paul had built up this great world around himself where anybody that looked at Paul's life would say, he's got it together. That guy has it together. He was born into success, if you will, and then he just took it from there and ran with it. And he was moving his way up among the, the religious leaders in Judaism. He was advancing beyond anybody else of his age in that movement. Many people believe he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish ruling council. And so Paul had everything going for him in the physical, worldly sense. But eventually, Paul ran into someone on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to Paul and shattered everything that he thought he knew. Everything that he had built up around himself, the world that he created, the, the job that he created, the, the image that he created for himself was just blown to pieces by God invading his life. And see, everything that you've built up in your life, whether it's finances or accomplishments, good deeds that you've done, charity or relationships, whatever it may be, those things can be gone in an instant. So don't define yourself by what you've done. Don't define yourself by temporal things, temporary things, but by eternal things. There's a great poem by a man named C.T. Studd, which is a great last name, by the way. I think I want to change my last name to that. Studd. That's like the perfect one. But <laughs> in this poem, there's one line in it that says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And see, right after Paul like, describes this life that he had built up, all the accomplishments he had done, how he had just excelled in Judaism, Judaism behind, ahead of his peers, he then says this in Philippians 3, verse 7 through 9. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So Paul looked at all that stuff that he'd built up, and not only was it not worth anything to him, it was actually a loss against him. It counted against his record, if anything. It was trash. It was rubbish. In fact, that word where he says, I counted them as rubbish, the word literally should be translated dung. I think the Bible translators just took it soft on us. That word should be dung. And so Paul says, I count everything that I built up as trash. It's garbage. It's something you want to get out of your house. It's a loss, a negative against your account. You know, I had um, one of these 
scary basement bathrooms. Anybody have one of those in your house? Who has a basement? Anybody have a basement in your house? You have like one of those bathrooms that you know was done in the 70s and it's got really weird tile everywhere and it's just really ugly and you go in there and you're kind of scared. You know, like something's going to happen to me in this bathroom. I know it. <coughs> I don't know what, but it's not good. And it had a, a wall-mounted sink, you know, where it has the, the P-trap underneath it exposed on the outside and it had this kind of shiny chrome plating on this P-trap and so, you know, it looked clean and fine and good on the outside. And I went in there one day and, and the little bathroom garbage can was sitting on the, on the floor. And so I, I moved it back to where it should be underneath the sink and kind of kicked it a little bit. It bumped into the edge of that P-trap and it just exploded everywhere. And you know that the stuff that collects in the P-trap under the sink is not like good, clean, yummy stuff, right? It just stinks. It's gross, it's rusted, it's corroded, and the, the whole pipe had corroded out from the inside out. And it looked perfect on the outside. Everything on the outside of it looked great, but the inside was rotting away. And all it took was one little nudge, and it just spilled all over the floor, and I had a huge mess to clean up. But see, that's what our life is like. When we're building up these walls on the outside, we're building up this, this perfect life on the outside, but leaving the inside unnoticed and untouched and unkept. Finding our identity in what we've built up rather than what Christ has done. And see, Paul said, all that stuff that I've done, all the stuff that I've built up, it's, it's rubbish. It's worthless. But I've counted them as loss for the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's where value is. Well, maybe you don't find your identity in you know, the things that you've built up or your jobs or your finances or any life that you've created. Maybe you'd find your identity in what other people think of you, okay? You know, there's a saying that says, you're not who you think you are. You're not what other people think you are. You are what you think other people think you are. You've heard that before, maybe? Well, maybe that's how you define yourself. You define yourselves by what you think other people think about you. You know, you, um, you want everyone to like you, and so you put on a bit of a show for people that you're around. You have the church face down pat. Do you guys know what I'm talking about when I say the church face? Um, those of you who are married, especially if you have kids, you know every once in a while when you're driving to church, something just goes wrong and you have one of those knockdown, blowout fights in the car on the way to church. And you're yelling at each other and the kids are crying in the back seat and you pull up to the front of the church and you get out of the car and suddenly you come up to the front door and everybody's like, how are you? And like, I'm doing so good. How are you doing? Have you done that before? I've done that before, okay? I'm a pastor, so I, I, if you haven't done that before, awesome, that's good. But keep it up. Don't do that. But it's called the church face. Um, another way that you could think about this is if you've ever worked retail. Anybody worked retail before? There's something that's called fronting the store. And what that means is after you have kind of a rush of customers come through, they take lots of items off the shelves and you go through the shelves and, you know, maybe you had 10 shampoos in one line right here and eight of them are gone. Well, you go through and you pull the ones that are at the back up to the front so that those shelves look nice and full when people walk through the aisles. And so you go through and you front the store and you pull everything front and all those shelves look nice and full, even though there's really not much there. It's the same concept. It's putting up that show so that everything looks great on the outside so that nobody thinks anything bad about you. But really on the inside, you might be empty. You might be struggling. You might have just had a really horrible night where you slept two hours and you got up and you're tired, but you're here. But you don't want anybody to know, so you put on the church face. You put on the front. You just can't stand having someone think bad things about you. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, 
but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. I don't care how nice of a person you are. You could be the very nicest person in the world. Every single person in the world could vote you as the very nicest person, but still someone is going to hate you. That's just the way that it is. Someone out there right now probably hates you. You know how I know this is true? Jesus said it. He said, if they hated me, they will hate you. And so if he said it, that means it's true, right? And so someone is going to hate you. So there's no use in trying to make everyone like you. Don't put up the front. Don't, don't find your identity in what other people think about you. It doesn't matter what other people think because God looks beyond that. God doesn't look at the outside. The Lord looks at the heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, when um, Samuel is coming and he's going to anoint the next king of Israel after Saul had failed, um, God tells him this in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And see, God sees right beyond all that stuff. He sees beyond the church face. He sees beyond the show that you put up for people. He knows what's really going on. And God wants to give you an identity other than what other people think about you. And so don't find who you are and what other people think. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ, and God looks on you with approval because of his son, Jesus Christ. That's where identity needs to be. Maybe that's not what you struggle with. Maybe you find your identity in how you feel. How you feel defines what you think about yourself. It could be depression or loneliness or heartache or just that feeling empty inside, which we all go through at one time or another. So you can't rest in what you feel, but in what Scripture says that you are. That's what we're called to do, is to define ourselves by what Scripture says that we are. How you feel is deceptive. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You ever hear somebody say, oh, just follow your heart? You hear that? Do not follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceptively wicked and deceitful above all things. I don't want to follow my heart, right? If that's what the Bible says about my heart, I don't want to follow my heart. I want to follow the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and leads us. And that can be confusing because it can kind of be a feeling sometimes. You can feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you somewhere, but you need to be led by the Spirit, not by your heart. Don't define yourself by how you feel, but by what God says about you in his word. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says, For if our heart condemns us, which is usually where going by your feelings lead, because our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And see, God doesn't condemn you. God looks on you with love and approval because of his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe, again, that's not what you struggle with. Maybe you don't define yourself by your feelings or how you're feeling today or how you're feeling tomorrow, whatever it may be. Maybe you define yourselves by your failures. You feel like your whole life you've never measured up. Um, you just can't seem to do anything right. You're like Charlie Brown with the Christmas tree, right? You know, you touch it and all the little needles fall off and everything you do just falls apart. And you just feel like a failure. You might feel like you're unworthy to be loved or unworthy to be cared for. No one really likes you. You do stupid things all the time. You know, I, uh, I used to think I was pretty clever, and a friend of mine, his name's Jimmy Humphreys, he's a pastor up in Breckenridge now, but we both used to go to a, a church down in Denver. And I saw him 
up snowboarding at Breckenridge, and we didn't go up together. We were both just independently happened to be up there. And I looked down, and he's sitting at the top of the snowboard park, and I'm looking, and I'm like, that's Jimmy, I know. That's his jacket, that's his hat, that's his snowboard, that's him. And so I said, I'm going to go and spray him. Now, if you know what spray, what that means, it means you go really fast, and then you kick out your skis or your snowboard underneath you, and it just sprays a big cloud of snow all over the person that you're going after. And so I decided I was going to do this to Jimmy Humphreys. This is uh, he was a friend of mine. He was a youth pastor at a church. I'm like, I'm going to totally spray him, you know. And so I'm going as fast as I can down this hill. And I grew up in Vail, so I skied, I snowboarded my whole life. Like, that's just what I did. And, and I'm going as fast as I can. And, and as I get close, I realize that it's solid ice underneath me. Everything is just solid ice. And so I'm like, well, I'm committed now, so I got to go for it. So I kicked out the back of my snowboard, pushed it out. And what happened, instead of spraying him, my snowboard slipped out from under me. I flew up in the air landed flat on my back like that, and slid at about 35 miles per hour into the back of his legs. <laughs> and he goes, flying over my head, lands, up, lands on top of me, and we're sliding down the hill together. And he's just looking over his shoulder like, what in the world is going on? Some tourist just totally blindsided me. You know, and it, we ended up getting a good laugh about it. In fact, he ended up marrying my wife and I a couple years later, and he, of course, had to pull that one out and embarrass me on my wedding day. But... <laughs> But, you know, that's just, that defines your life. Maybe that's just who you are. Everything you do falls apart. Nothing seems to work. See, we're called to find our identity not in our success or our failure, because that doesn't really matter. We find our identity in Jesus because he has made you worthy. It's not about how worthy you are or what you can accomplish. It's about what he's already done for you. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. See, Jesus has qualified you. It had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with how good you are at something. It had nothing to do with your success or your failure. It's all about him. He has qualified you. He has made you worthy. You're not worthy because of yourself, but because of him. Now, that word there for qualify, the Greek word is this word, Hikanu, which literally means to render fit. God has made you fit to be called his son because of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, again, maybe that's not where you battle, but you struggle with sin in your life, and you cannot seem to get rid of some sin that you're dealing with, and you define yourself by that sin. Just an easy example of this is alcoholism. You say, I'm an alcoholic. That's defining you. Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you may struggle with alcohol, but you're not an alcoholic. You're not an alcoholic. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You belong to him. Don't define yourself by some sin that you can't seem to get over. Define yourself by Jesus. You might feel chained to it, just like that eagle. You know, the eagle with the pole. Maybe that's just whatever it may be in your life, some sin that you can't seem to get rid of. You're chained to it. You're walking in circles, and you can't seem to get away from it. The solution is not trying really hard not to sin. I'm going to try just a little experiment with you here. Now, I want everybody here to try as hard as you possibly can to not think about chocolate. Okay, what are you thinking about? Chocolate. Okay. Strawberries. Wow, okay. How about chocolate-dipped strawberries? There we go. Um, (laughs) See, when you're trying not to sin, the same thing happens. You're focusing so hard on not sinning. I'm not going to sin. 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 What are you doing? You're going to end up falling back into that sin because all you're doing is trying not to sin. It's the only thing you're thinking about. That's not what we're called to do. The solution 
is to find out who you really are as a believer in Jesus Christ and focus on him, the deliverer of sin. To realize that you're not chained to that pole anymore. You're an eagle and you may have walked that, that circle around that pole a million times, but you're no longer chained to that as a believer in Jesus Christ. The chain has been broken. You've been set free. You can stretch out your wings and soar. Romans 8, verse 11 through 14 in the New Living Translation says this. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So if you're a believer today, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. If You live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This verse was life-changing for me. Realizing that I had no obligation to do what my sinful nature urged me to do. Often, especially if you are an addictive person, you, you have an addictive personality, you easily get addicted to things, you feel obligated to that. You feel obligated to have another drink. You feel obligated to make that click on the computer again. Whatever it may be, you can't seem to, I just can't stop. I can't stop. I can't get away from it. It's an obligation. But see, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Therefore, you are no longer obligated to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You can walk in the Spirit and have life and peace. Your sin is no longer your identity. Jesus is. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so as a believer, I've been crucified with Christ. That person that, I, that I'm thinking about that I can't seem to get away from, that person's dead. And now I live by the Spirit inside of me. Um, any of you guys ever been to Netherland? You know, okay. Who here has, knows what Frozen Dead Guy Days is? Anybody? Okay, so I've shared this at a couple churches before, and they're like, Frozen Dead Guy Days, what's that? But they have some guy who was cryogenically frozen in Netherland, and in celebration of this, every year they have a festival they call Frozen Dead Guy Days, and they take the guy out in his big freezer box, and they parade him through town, and it's called Frozen Dead Guy Days, and it's just something that people in Netherland would do. Um, <laughs> so... But see, this is what we're doing when we're trying to, when we're, we're saying that we can't seem to get away from something. We're taking that person that was dead and nailed to the cross and trying to carry them around on our back and saying, I've got this body of sin. I can't seem to get away from it. And you strap it on your shoulders and you walk around and you carry it with you and it weighs you down. And you're going to end up falling back into that sin again because you're not realizing who you are as a child of God, having been set free from that sin. That person was nailed to the cross. You can leave them there. You don't have to take them with you every day. You don't have to carry that body of death around with you. You don't need a frozen dead guy on your back. You can walk in the freedom of the cross, finding your identity in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Everything in you has been made new in Jesus Christ. You are a new creation old person is dead. 
That's the symbolism of baptism. If you've been baptized, you know you're there. You go under the water and you come up and your old person stays there in the water and that symbolism. That's the reason that we do that, to remind ourselves that we are no longer that person that we were before Jesus Christ. Our identity now is in the new creation that we've been given through Jesus Christ. So don't carry that frozen dead guy around anymore. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. You've been given freedom and life in him. Do you ever find yourself saying, maybe you look in the mirror and you just don't like who you are. You're, you're such a loser. You're such a fraud. You're such a failure. You're stupid. You're ugly. Or maybe you're the opposite end of the spectrum and you're narcissistic and you're like, man, you just got it all together. You got things just going for you. You're good. Things are good. But do you really think when you're sitting there and you're just down on yourself, listing out all the stupid things you've done and how big of a failure you are and how you can't get away from that sin, do you really think that that is the voice of God speaking to you? The God who says that you are a new creation in his son, Jesus Christ? I don't think so. That's the voice of the enemy. That's the voice of Satan speaking to you. Satan is the ultimate identity thief. He wants to steal your identity and give you the identity of your old person, or even worse, give you the identity of someone that's far worse than your old person, but anything to get you away from your identity in Christ. That's what he wants to do. In fact, in John 10, 10, it says that the thief has come, has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, right? That's his job. That's what he's doing. He's coming to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to steal your identity in Christ and to destroy everything in your life. And he does that by taking your eyes off of God, your eyes off of Jesus. See, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what God wants for you. Christ did not come to condemn you, but to give life. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says this, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also written, risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Now, just to break this down so, so it's easy to understand, it's saying, essentially, who has the right to stand in condemnation over you as a believer? It's Jesus. Jesus is the only one that has the right to stand in condemnation over you. But here's the deal. Rather than choosing to stand in condemnation, he said, I'm going to stand and be an intercessor, meaning a mediator, one standing between you and God. Essentially, it works out to being something like this. The one who should be your prosecutor has chosen instead to be your defense attorney. Okay? That's what Jesus has done. Has anybody here ever had to go to court before? I'm like the only one. <laughs> it was a speeding thing, though. I was all right, but... Um, if you've had to go to court before, you know you get there, you've got the prosecutor on one side. It's not always like the TV shows, right? You've got the prosecutor on one side, you're on the other side, and then there's the judge in front. And they read the charges, and then the prosecutor says the case, and then if you give a defense or whatever. But imagine this, okay, you're going to court, you're on trial for every sin you've ever committed in your entire life, or will commit. You're sitting there in the stand, the judge is up there, God the Father is the judge. And you look over to your right, and you're like, okay, I wonder who the prosecutor's going to be. You know, maybe, the, maybe he'll take it easy on me. And you look over there, and it's Jesus. Now, from the other side of the cross, we know that Jesus died for our sins. But if you just look at who Jesus is, he's the only man who never sinned. So you're like, I'm sitting here, and the person who's prosecuting me is the only one who never messed up. Man, I'm in for it, right? But then Jesus stands up, and he says... I'm not going to prosecute this case. I'm choosing instead to be the defense attorney today. And so I'm going to switch sides and charges are dropped. 
But that's what Christ has done for us. Now, our family has kind of a tradition. We go up to Estes Park to the YMCA, the Rockies. I've got a large family, like six siblings and just crazy craziness. We've got like 25 people when we get together for Christmas. And so they get this big cabin up there at the YMCA, the Rockies. And this last year, we were up there, and, and because of the floods, they had reduced the speed limit up there. And I didn't realize this. And so we're coming back down on Saturday night. I had to be at church on Sunday morning to preach. And so I'm driving down the road going about 50. And just kind of, that's the speed limit up there normally, because I've driven up and down that road a bunch of times. Many of you probably have as well, given that you live here. So I'm driving down the road about 50, just cruising along. It's about 10 o'clock at night, thinking, okay, we're going to get home pretty late, be really tired for church tomorrow, but that's all right. Sure enough, behind me, on turn the lights of a police cruiser. And I'm thinking, what did I do now? You know, what's going on? I've got, I know I've got a taillight out, so I'm thinking maybe he's just pulling me over for my, my taillight that's out. And so I pull over, the police officer comes up, and he goes, sir, do you know why I pulled you over today? And I said, no, I really don't, actually. And he goes, well, you're doing 50 in a 20-mile-per-hour zone. And I'm like, ooh, yeah, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> and he goes, you know, I, I, could, I could take you to jail for that. Like, that's, a jail, that's, a, that's an offense where I could arrest you right now. That's how serious that is. I'm like, oh, I really didn't know that. I'm sorry. And he goes back to his car, and we're sitting there just we're like praying, like, okay, Lord, give us some favor here. You know, I don't know what's going on. I missed the sign, apparently, because I know the speed limit's usually 50. And he comes back, and he says, well, you know, I, I had to give you a ticket. I, I can't really let you off with that one. Um, but here's, I gave you kind of a reduced sentence, reduced fee and reduced points and all that stuff. So here you go. Just, you know, have a good night, whatever. And so we're like, okay, well, at least I didn't get like an eight-point ticket, like reckless driving or something crazy like that. So we're driving down, and we get to Lyons, and that's where self-service kind of kicks back on for me. And we're driving t- down towards Boulder to go down back home. And I get a voicemail. Actually, my wife gets a voicemail on her phone, which is the weird thing because he didn't have my f- Somehow he got my wife's phone number, not mine. But anyways, so my wife gets this voicemail on her phone, and, and we listen to it, and it says, hi, this is Officer So-and-so, and I just wanted to give you a call and let you know that I decided just to tear up your ticket and so there are no charges. You can just go home and have a good night and don't worry about, about that court date or any of that stuff. Um, and I was just like, I didn't even know they did that. Like, who does that? Has, has anybody ever had that happen to you before? Uh, this is like the like once in a lifetime thing, right? Like they may give you a warning the moment of, but never write you a ticket and then leave and then call you back and say, oh, I just decided to tear up that ticket for you. Have a good night. And it was like, whoa, man, that's crazy. But see, that is what Jesus has done for us. The charges are laid out against us. The, 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 the penalty is there. We've been shown what we owe. We owe death. We owe hell. But that penalty has been wiped out by the cross. It's been taken away. There is no guilt. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so don't live under that cloud of condemnation that you may have had before. That's not who you are anymore. You're a son and a daughter of God. Now, I'm going to give you kind of a list of who you are in Jesus here. Um, And, you know, just as we find our identity, we don't want to find our identity in what you've built up. You don't want to find your identity in what other people think of you. You don't want to find your identity in your failures or in your feelings or in your sin. Don't find your identity in those things, but in what God says about you. Now, I'm going to give you a list of what the scriptures say God thinks about you as a son or daughter of God. Now, I'm going to give you an, an opportunity to get this list later because people will ask me about it. And so there's a way that you can text a number. We'll get to that in a minute. I'll, I'll tell you what that is in a second. But here is what the Word of God says about you. Now, this is just 
a short list because this could go on forever. I mean, if you read through the scriptures, it says way more than even this. But the word of God says that in Jesus Christ, you are God's child, that you have been justified, that you are Christ's friend, that you belong to God, that you are a member of Christ's body, that you have been established, anointed, and sealed by God, that God will perfect the work that he has begun in you, that you are a citizen of heaven, that you are hidden with Christ in God, that you have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline, that you are born of God and the evil one cannot touch you, that you are blessed in the heavenly realms, even now with every spiritual blessing in Christ, that you are chosen before the creation of the world, that you are holy and blameless, that you're adopted as his child, that you are given God's grace lavishly and without restriction, that you have redemption, that you are forgiven, that you have purpose, that you have hope, that you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, that you are a, a saint, that you are the salt and light of the earth, that you are alive with Christ, that you are raised up with Christ, that you are seated in, with Christ in the heavenly realms even now, which I just can't figure out how that works, but even now the scriptures say that you are seated with him today in the heavenly realms, that you have been shown the incomparable riches of God's grace, that he has expressed his kindness to you, that you are God's workmanship, that you have access to the Father, that you are a member of God's household, that you are a holy temple, that you are a dwelling for the Holy Spirit, that you can approach God with freedom and confidence, that you are victorious, that you are crucified with Christ, and that you are more than a conqueror in God. And if God says all of that about you, who do you think that you are to say anything different? I mean, if that's what God, the creator of the universe, the one that spoke and suddenly there were stars in the sky, says those things about you, that's what God says. Who do you think you are to disagree with God? To stand under that cloud of condemnation, to find your identity in anything other than what Jesus Christ has said about you. So lay those other things aside. Leave it behind and take up your identity in Christ. If you would like that list, there's a list of that with the corresponding scriptures. If you can just pull up that slide. You can text identity to that phone number right there and it'll send you a, li a link to the list. Um, you can download it on your computer, whatever you want to do. But see, the point of all this is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're no longer the person you were before. You belong to God. You've been created new. You're a new creation. And so let's stop living in that old creation. Let's stop living as Charlie Brown or somebody that's an alcoholic or whatever it may be, whatever the thing is that you define yourself by, don't be that person anymore. Realize that you have been made new already in Jesus Christ. Of course, there's a sanctification process where you deal with sin and you deal with struggles and you get it out of your life. But today, right now, you can walk in freedom in Jesus. You don't have to be that eagle chained up to the, to the, the pole anymore. You've been set free. The chain is gone. The chain has been broken. Just stretch out your wings and soar. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That old person's dead. You've been made new. In Ephesians 4, verse 24, in the New Living Translation, it says, Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, that's a choice that we make to put on that new nature. 
If you don't make that choice, you're by default making the choice to walk in your old nature, carrying that frozen dead guy on your back. So choose today. Find your identity in Christ. Take on that new nature. Throw the dead guy off and stretch out your wings and soar. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you look upon us with love and compassion. We thank you that you don't look upon us with all the things that we think about ourselves. We thank you that you don't look upon us with the successes that we think that we've built up because we know that those things are fleeting, Lord. We thank you that you don't look upon us about what other people think. You look beyond the outward appearance. You look to the heart. We thank you that you don't look upon us in the way that we feel about ourselves, Lord, or in the way that we fail daily or in our sin that we deal with. But you look upon us as children of God, truly righteous and holy, new creations through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would come and impress upon our hearts that truth. Help us to leave behind our old identity and take up that new person in Jesus Christ. Help us to throw that dead guy off our back and walk in the freedom that you've given us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus and all those things that we're talking about, all the definitions, the ways that you define yourself, those are you. You, you look at your life and you're like, I am a failure, I am a sinner. I do have all these things going on and you want to receive that free gift of life that God is offering. You want to find your identity in Christ. Scripture says that all who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And so if you're here today and you'd like to cast off that dead person and you'd like to take up that new life in Jesus Christ, you'd like to be forgiven of your sins, you'd like to be forgiven the consequence that is due you, you know, in that courtroom, if you don't have Jesus in your heart and you've not accepted his forgiveness, the Bible says that you stand condemned already before the judge. See, Jesus wants to switch sides from your prosecutor to your defense attorney. Will you choose to allow him to do that today? And if that's you, just between you and God right now, just say something like this. Just pray to him and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a failure. I know all those things are true about me. But I don't want to be defined by that anymore. I want to be defined by your son, Jesus. I want to find my identity in those things that you think about me. Would you forgive me for my sin? I believe in you. I believe in your son. Come and live in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close in worship.